Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. I think for many of you, uh, you know that I've been in education for a number of years um, on sort of all sides of the table. And with back to school season, so many different issues and challenges and opportunities for uh, families, students, teachers, and support systems to really come together and provide the best possible opportunities for young people to succeed in the environments that they are in, um, K through even 20, in that manner. So I want to, in that vein, I want to bring uh, together two founders of a company named Daybreak Health. We're going to be speaking with co-founders Alex Alvarado and Sid Sidambi. Um CEO and COO, respectively, uh, want to learn more about Daybreak, serving over a million students across the U.S. Um, and it, it comes from a personal story. And that's what I love about it. Uh, when we get young people as entrepreneurs, and I can say that respectfully, guys, uh, I've got a little more gray hair than you do. So, um, <laughs> so um, you know, uh, entrepreneurs that are that are on the come and really doing some amazing things and doing it uh, in the spirit of supporting students and families across the U.S. Alex, Sid, nice to spend some time with you today. Thanks for having us, Rod. Yeah, happy to be Great here. to be here. All right. I'm going to start with you, Alex, because from what I can tell in my background, there was, uh, and, and it's because it's public and you've shared this in this regard, I'd love for you to give a little bit of background as to how Daybreak started, but do so uh, as a sibling, if you don't mind, um, in discussing what was going on for your brother and how that sort of illuminated the need uh, that you saw and that your family saw. Happy to happy to share and appreciate the thoughtful uh, start here. So Daybreak story really started for me about 15 years back uh, when I was I was actually just uh, about to head off to uh, head off to college. And my brother is six years younger than me. He was 12 at the time. He was starting to struggle with um, what well, we didn't realize at the time, but was very clearly early onset of depression that would end up impacting him for the next kind of six to eight years. And, um, you know, as I was leaving, it was, it was pretty clear that there were some changes in mood and he was tired more often staying in his room. Um, but ultimately didn't, I didn't realize that it was, um, the signs of something deeper that was to come. And so, um, over the years, this kind of, I had left and I was checking back in with my parents. Um, it, it was clear that it started getting worse and my parents didn't have just the knowledge of the education to even understand what the signs were um, of, of something like depression. And then I think when they did realize it was something deeper that was going on, there was, there was just honestly some, some cultural stigma associated with um, seeking mental health support. I come from a Mexican American family where in that culture, there's, it's not the most acceptable thing. Um, uh, mental health is seen as a, as something that's not the most, um, it's just not the most commonplace, obviously. Um, but, you know, after a while, my parents did did kind of get over the hump and um, worked really hard at that point, actually, to get my brother into care. And I would say probably from the ages of 15 through 18, um, there was just this ongoing kind of struggle of trying to find a therapist that was in network on their insurance. Uh, that, that that was not a two hour drive away. We were in Seattle and uh, in the suburbs. If you want to find a therapist, it's it's a pretty far drive and and ultimately one that was a good match for my brother. Um, he's a pretty he's a pretty special, unique character. Uh, I needed a therapist that really understood him. And 
Um, he, you know, bounced in and out of care for those kind of last three years from, from 15 to 18, but ultimately never was able to find a program that was the right fit for him. And he went into a crisis kind of as he was transitioning out of high school and into college. He had just gotten into into college, which we were all really excited about. He was a, he was a high academic performer along the way, but then ended up having to drop out of school um, because the kind of the mental health challenges uh, became too much. And so obviously I learned a lot from, from that experience as a, as a brother, first and foremost. Um, but as I kind of was unpacking his experience and as he was getting back on his feet in early adulthood, um, I realized and I was talking to other people about the experience, I just realized how common that um, set of themes was that my family dealt with, just the lack of understanding and awareness around mental health, the stigma, and then just the, the terrible access that especially kids have to mental health support that, that then ends up impacting your life in a lot of ways, not just your health and well-being, but also your, your education and your access to education and ability to succeed. So uh, that is where David, the, kind of the, the spark of the idea for Daybreak came from me. And so then transition that, Alex, if you don't mind, and then we'll bring Sid into the conversation. But to have that, to have a personal sort of front row seat that you had uh, to your brother's struggles, to sort of experience that, and then to meet Sid um, and say, like, I find that interesting, that sort of gray area between you're experiencing something personal and then, wait a minute, got an idea. I've got a buddy of mine that I think we can do something about this. I mean, that I don't think we should take that lightly. Talk a little bit about that and sit if you could jump in and just sort of share at what point did it also become your mission as well? Um, not just Alex's. Talk about that in your relationship and that transition. Well, funnily enough, uh, as I was leaving for college and this is this is all kind of starting, this was, I mean, a long time ago, right? This is 15 years ago, but I happened to meet Sid at, at, at he lived in my freshman dorm at Stanford. And so that's actually where we started building our friendship, which has now lasted um, over the last 15 years. And um, it was not only a friendship, but we worked together after college in healthcare consulting and started building some of the same skills and, and language around just what it takes to, to create something special professionally. Um, but it never really felt like the kind of the right time to do something together ultimately until about, I guess, four years ago um, when I was really noodling on there is a big problem here that needs to be solved. And I think there's a company that it can exist. And um, Sid was the first person I called. So Sid, you want to share a little bit about where you're coming at this from? Sure, sure. I appreciate it. You know, um, Raj, for me, I grew up yeah, uh, you know, overseas. Um, my parents are Indian expats who are living in uh, Dubai and I came to Stanford. That was my dream to go there. And, you know, when I came, I knew that I wanted to work on a big problem with the most talented people. That's the most fun part of being at a college like that is the, the people around you and their motivation, their abilities, their desire to think big and solve big problems. But you also need a toolkit to be able to solve those problems. And so our, my friendship with Alex has been, had been developing over those years. He was building a toolkit in, in healthcare and in product and you know building digital health products. I was building a toolkit on the growth and business side in various early stage startups. But the most important thing that both of us have always aligned on is there are many things that you can do in your life and there are many different th problems that you can work on. So you need to be really selective if you're going to start a company, which is going to take a decade or more 
to work on the right problems um, and to work on something that's really, really important to you. And what really resonated with me about um, youth mental health was not only the personal touch points we have to it. Alex mentioned his brother. My sister is a therapist. She works with youth. Uh, I've learned a lot about the provider side from her and the need from their perspective for a platform that really helps people. But also you need to work, you know, so it's not only that, the personal touch points, it's also the scale of it. There are millions and millions of uh, of youth uh, who, who need mental health support who are not getting it. The problem is only getting exacerbated uh, through various factors. The technology is there um, and the readiness in the market is there for a solution, but it takes putting a lot of different pieces together and it takes the right team. And so as Alex was working on this and the, the early stages, um, I was really drawn to it for those reasons. But mostly because I think the most important selection point, yeah, in 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 working on something is you know who you work on it with, and um, because of the trust and uh, because of the talent, I knew uh, Alex had um, it was an easy decision. So what I think is fascinating is that one for people who don't know the business of education can be incredibly murky, <laughs> filled with red tape, like uh, nobody would ever imagine, um, and then to dive into the mental health provider perspective or the platform, you know, the opportunity to provide services. Um, there are not a lot of people that have, I think, the courage to be able to do that in education. You're not just dealing with mental health or the or the health uh, of a young person, but you're dealing with a bureaucracy that is education, public education. Um, talk a little bit about, I'll let either one of you, whoever wants to take this, um, discuss the initial challenges um, or the inertia within education that, that either really challenged you as a business uh, when you thought about it. I think sometimes people go in, you know, with rose colored glasses and they find, wait a minute, this is really tough. And I've known plenty of companies that have tried their hand at mental health in schools and have struggled mightily. And it was because I think that they just didn't have a, a real sort of grounding in what education, the business of education looks like, because it is its own animal. Um, and I think that's just the reality of it. Uh, and it can be really hard, which is a sad state of affairs because we need more services. We need daybreaks um, out there to be able to help provide services. It's, really, it's ironic. In, in our case, I almost think it was the reverse. We didn't go into it with rose-colored glasses and then find out that it was impossible. We actually were initially a little bit apprehensive about, you know, is this the right direction? We're not experts in, in you know, K-12 go to market or anything like that. Um, and, but we were draw we, we actually got pulled into it because there's such a need there. So as we were talking to different school systems and sharing that we are this resource where, uh, families can, uh, get support, they were actually the ones who mentioned to us that it would be great if this was actually a school sponsored support and could be integrated with our uh, mental health care services and delivery that we are already doing because it complements us so well. And the way we filled that gap um, in terms of, uh, you know, learning about the space and not going into it with preconceptions and then finding out the hard way is just through bringing on fantastic team members who are extremely experienced there. So our early uh, partnerships lead uh, was a crucial uh, uh, person um, in, you know, building those early relationships and helping us understand um, how to do this. Her name's Gabby. She's done a fantastic job. And then we brought on more team members. Um, who, uh, you know, have experience on the uh, delivery side. Um, uh, one of our team leads, her name is Diana, in terms of implementation and driving the best possible results for school systems. 
And we brought on fantastic more team members over time who are experienced. A lot of them are actually former educators uh, who are now working, you know, in in the um, in the K twelve space uh, with us. And so you really fill it that way. But I'll let Alex speak to it as well about the early days and thinking about whether we should go into the education space or not. And Alex, if you don't mind incorporating into that sort of those initial discussions with schools and the questions that you were getting, because that's the one thing it's fasting. We think about mental health. I mean, there this is not a oftentimes a one size fits all. Right. We're talking about sort of a spectrum of experiences, variables, um, challenges and conditions and also personnel that are on the ground or not. Uh, to include support systems within a local community. So that that can be, you know, a challenge and an incredible opportunity. Um, so talk a little bit about those initial conversations, if you will, and the business of education as you see it. I think it's really, it's a really interesting story on our end because from the very early days at Daybreak, we had a sense from a product perspective that it was, it made a lot of sense for this to happen through schools. My My dad's actually a high school teacher and um, even from day one at daybreak, we we thought, look, the kids are in schools. That's really where we're going to see the the need pop up, right? That's where the signal is. Um, but there hasn't just there just hasn't been infrastructure for us to support this. And so we actually started by getting referrals from schools, but we didn't think the funding was going to be there. We thought that parents would have to pay for it or that insurance would have to pay for it. And so that's really where we started our journey at daybreak. And um, what was really interesting, and and sometimes it's just, I think it's just better to be lucky than good sometimes from a timing perspective, is that about a year after we started the company, there was a, just a national movement that started for uh, public school systems to really be at the forefront of providing mental health services um, for these kids. And that was around the time that we started exploring, can we can we make this a actual a, a real partnership and a sale instead of just a a referral mechanism, and um, it was kind of during that time when the the CARES Act was coming out during uh, during the pandemic. A lot of that funding was put towards whole child, um, whole student um, education, and one of the things that was suggested for support for for public schools was uh, mental health is really holding these kids' educations back. We need to really invest in that area, and so that's that's when we started really embracing okay we should be talking to public school districts we should be understanding what they need and to answer your question rod i think in the in some of the first few conversations we had there were big questions around um what is the kind of what is the role of a virtual support versus what is the role of an on-site support and we were very thoughtful about crafting this is how we fit in this is um, this is potentially what your on-site counselors and social workers can do and here's how we can be an extension of their team and really make them superheroes because every single school district leader, the number one thing on their mind is their staff and burnout and tension. And so you really want to position that way. Um, and then a, another big question was, um, how do you, how does this, how does this work from a, a, a diagnosis and a condition perspective? You know, which, what kinds of kids are you working with? How does that work with potentially the special education systems that we already have in place and the support for those kiddos? And so um, there was a lot of discovery that we did around um, working with mild to moderate kids, um, developing a program that not only helps those kids feel better, but then also can impact their academic success and help them achieve. And that was really where I think we we hit some, uh, I, I'd say some nice sparks in terms of speaking in the school district's language and, and creating a program that was really exciting to them. Um, 
So how did you t- yeah, tell me, talk about the offering then. So how does it help me understand how it fits within if it's, if we think about it from like a puzzle perspective, because um, I think one of the challenges again, but we're learning, I think we're seeing progress, which is the actual school district and the school site having a sort of a more, I think, um, comprehensive understanding of the, of what's needed. You know, back in my day, it was we had school counselors and they were really there from a scheduling perspective. There was really no support or we the definition of support hadn't really been flushed out yet in what might may be needed, right? So I think part of the, the opportunity to want to educate the local parents and also the school is to be able to communicate sort of how you fit within that puzzle that can be pretty complex. So how does Daybreak walk into a new school setting and communicate the value prop because you touched on it there, Alex, which I, I thought was really key that you just talked about. Look, understanding the staff and and supporting the the staff and making them obviously be and become superheroes within that equation. This is not an either or; it's an and, which is a key differentiate differentiator for those that can do really well in the school setting. So, kind of plant the puzzle piece of daybreak in so that people get a, a I think a firm understanding of how you fit. That first conversation with a district leader. Um, you you walk in and you talk to them and and this is where their head is at. They're they know mental health is an overwhelming need. They're seeing it every day, um, and they are seeing both the early signs of it as well as a lot of crises happening. They are themselves overwhelmed because they've been given funding to solve this problem, um, but they find it very difficult to hire and train qualified clinicians. And um, and they find it very difficult to understand how to kind of have a, a program that I, that can actually uh, drive and measure impact because that's ultimately what they're being uh, held accountable for. And especially in what we call these resource deserts, it can be very, very difficult to find on-site staff. And so Daybreak kind of slots in and says, look, if you've got, if you're one of those lucky districts that's already built an on-the-ground team, you've got social workers on staff, we are going to just be an extension of that team they can make referrals to us. Generally, those social workers are going to be doing shorter term care, two or three, four sessions. If a kid is needing a little more support, they can they can enroll in our 12-week program. And we're going to help them get all the way through uh, symptom improvement and, and getting back on track. Um, and if you're one of those districts that's had a really hard time hiring social workers, the first step can be virtual care for you because you're able to immediately solve the staffing issue, the training issue, match kids to one of over a hundred therapists that we now have that's a perfect fit for them and really get those kids the, the right personalized fit. And I think that's that's the key value prop is solve your staffing shortages, get those kids matched to somebody that they really can work with. And at the same time, alleviate a lot of the burden that your staff is feeling that uh, of just being overworked and overwhelmed by the amount of mental health need that's that's happening. Sid, can you speak to the the technical integration of of providing care um, to the schools and ultimately to the students in creating what would be, I guess, a, a frictionless sort of experience uh, for both the provider and the student that's receiving those services? Sure. There's two elements to it. One is you want to make it really easy for school staff or at the front lines coming into contact with students who need more support. You wanna make it really easy for those staff to be able to refer students uh, into the program and to be able to understand their progress. So I'll talk to, sorry about that. I'll talk to how we do that. And then the second piece is around making sure that it is really smooth um, and frictionless for students to be receiving the care. 
throughout the journey. And so on the first point around staff, we have a school staff dashboard where they can log in. They can um, uh, imagine that a school staff member is sitting with a student um, in their office and they've just talked about daybreak and trying um, uh, our weekly therapy program. They can sit with the student and say, when would you like to do the first kind of intake session? What times work for you? They see an online scheduler that they can access in the school staff dashboard, and then they can pick a time, right? And then that session is booked. Now that student is getting a notification um, through their email about their appointment with the link for them to log in. And then they will do the session over a, a video session. After that session, they're going to be matched with a therapist and they're going to be working with them weekly. And in uh, in that section, you know, there, there are many touch points where we use technology to make sure that students are um, uh, finding it really easy to log into their sessions. There are um, reminders that they get through, through mobile. Um, there are emails that go to the school staff member and the student and uh, as well as the parent um, about who the therapist is that they're working with and how to access the sessions. Um, so that if the student uh, needs any support um, or reminders, they'll get that. Um, and then throughout the journey, there are also, you know, this is not technology, this is more the human perspective. There are also opportunities for the um, parents and the school staff member to check in with the daybreak clinician who's providing the care in case they need to get feedback or they need to uh, be partners in that care journey. So it's really about that. And then as that student is going through that journey, um, the school staff member can actually see in the school dashboard, uh, hey, where is the student? You know, they did their intake. Have they been matched with the clinician? How many sessions have they done? Um, as well as other uh, other details on 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 care progress. So it's really those two stakeholders that we're really thinking about. You know, what I love about what you're saying that I, I want people to to understand is that what you're talking about is integration into the the school environment, which is a really key point because for forever, I think people were looking at mental health services as an add-on. And because of that, it became, there was this sort of invisible barrier that we didn't really know was there. It's sort of, you know, like you're trying to walk and navigate in the dark or something and you trip on something uh, in, in a room. Uh, we were tripping a lot because we were just sort of adding on, we were bolting on these options and we didn't understand the integration and the way in which the school needed to be able to communicate about what they were offering. Uh, so I think that's a really key point, Sid. Uh, Alex, let's put a bow on this conversation. Talk a little bit about how this experience has changed your relationship um, with Sid. I mean, because you guys are really sort of brothers in business in this man. And I think it's really important because people get behind companies that they like, that they feel matches sort of the spirit and the sentimentality of what means something to them. And it's really a softball in that way because people want to make sure that young people feel good about what they're doing, feel good about, you know, waking up in the morning and going to school because uh, they've got to have that uh, to be able to access all the opportunities that we hope that they have in front of them from an academic perspective. How has this changed your relationship, not just as a, as a CEO, but as a, as a brother in business uh, with Sid who, who bought into what you were talking about uh, whole hog and, and you guys seem to work really well together? Yeah, I'm smiling because it's a little hard to describe um, when you have this deep of a level of uh, of trust and relationship and one that's been built not just through friendship and in college, but then in um, other professional working relationships and now in co-founding a company. I think the uh, the struggle that you go through in the early days of founding a company when there's a lot of uncertainty 
and a lot of different ways that you can go and you're not always agreeing on everything that that puts I think a lot of kind of like even the best relationships to the test and um Sid and I have really never had a moment where it didn't feel like it was the right answer to be working together um, in terms of how it's changed our relationship I do think the most important uh, thing is the just the level of of trust that we've built um you know I can I believe that Sid and it's it's funny at this point almost like we we maybe a little bit too much speak the same language <laughs> but you know like if Sid's in a meeting and I'm not there I'm like I know, I know exactly what's going to happen here and it's and it's going to be the right answer and I I hope I think he thinks the same about me um whether it's uh you know a meeting with our team or a meeting with the board and um and that's I think really incredible and and then Sid's also just pushed me to be so much better um, there's a level of depth to Sid's thinking and creativeness that I just didn't actually fully understand before we started this company. Um, one of the things he does every, I think like six months, he pops out this strategy document that I'm, I'm just like, this is going to change the trajectory of the company. Thank you, Sid. Um, and that's, it's just incredibly working with somebody who is um, so thoughtful, strategic, but then also brings a lot of humor and and jokes to everyday life. So. Well, I appreciate you uh, entertaining my question there. I think it's, look, I think healthcare, and this is speaking from someone who who has worked in healthcare, um, I think sometimes it can feel that it's uh, not, not very approachable. And I think you guys, you, you break that stigma. And I think it's incredibly important, not just for what you're doing at Daybreak, but what really the the population that you're serving you know we want to break we want to break down those stigmas that you mentioned earlier that may you talked about your culture of Mex mexican american uh but really a culture within uh, and throughout schools and it sounds like you guys are doing that and doing it very successfully um and you just you're likable guys i think that's important it's probably why you're having success at the k-12 level i want to make sure people can learn more you can go to daybreakhealth.com and connect with sid and alex uh daybreak currently partners with over 50 districts across the u.s with clinicians specializing specializing excuse me across 26 different mental health conditions and 13 modalities of care speaking eight languages it sounds like you guys are there as the need and the variables change. I encourage people to check them out. Once again, we really have enjoyed speaking with Daybreak Health co-founders, Alex Alvarado and Sid Sidambi. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.